This is a Timmet podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is Lessons from St. Thomas. Lessons from St. Thomas. The guests at the Walnut Crescent Bed and Breakfast rarely stay for more than three or four nights. That's enough time for us to get to know them a bit. It's not enough time for anyone to get on anyone else's nerves. However, a very few of our guests are here for weeks or months. These are people who move up from outside and stay at our bed and breakfast while they settle into new jobs and find permanent places to stay. In those situations, we drop the breakfast part from the bed and breakfast and the guests become responsible for all their own meals, sharing our kitchen. This usually happens in the winter when the normal B&B business is slow. Thomas is one of those long-term guests. He's about 50, from St. Thomas, Ontario. Yes, Thomas from St. Thomas. That was confusing to our daughter Alex, who thought that his name was St. Thomas. She assumed that he had a job at a church, maybe as a working saint performing miracles or standing around in an alcove with candles in front. Actually, Thomas is a chartered accountant and has a full-time job at the Yukon Department of Finance as director of something important. Thomas has a family back in St. Thomas. Eight children, aged 10 through 20, and a wife, and two dogs. We naturally assumed that he had come to Whitehorse to escape his family. But we noticed that he spent a lot of time on the phone with them during the week, and by Skype video on the weekend. And he goes back to visit every six or eight weeks. Then we find out he had been fired from his last two jobs in St. Thomas, and nobody else in Ontario would hire him. So Yukon was his last chance. He had moved across the country, away from his wife and children, just so he could support them. Mara and I felt guilty for having been so quick to judge him. He was making sacrifices for his family that we couldn't have imagined. This was a lesson to us. Sometimes people have things going on in their lives that we don't immediately understand. Thomas has been with us long enough for us to observe all his quirks and habits and examine them in the light of our own quirks and habits. We quickly found Thomas to be very annoying. But almost as quickly, Mara and I realized that if he was going to be with us for a while, constant grinding of teeth was not going to work. We decided to build on the first lesson that he had taught us about not judging him quickly. Going forward, we treated each new annoyance that Thomas presented as an opportunity to learn a new lesson. Sometimes figuring out the new lesson wasn't easy, but it got to be kind of fun. One of us would giggle and say, Oh, got another one from Thomas! and we'd sit together to discuss it and puzzle out the lesson. All the floors in the Walnut Crescent Bed and Breakfast have carpet, except for the kitchen and bathrooms. That means people move quite silently throughout the house. On many occasions when working in the kitchen, I have been surprised by people appearing behind me. But this never happens with Thomas, because he thumps when he walks. Thump, thump, thump as he goes down the hallway, and thump, thump, thump as he comes up the stairs. This would be only an interesting curiosity, except his thump, thump, thump on the stairs frequently wakes us when we're trying to sleep. I have observed Thomas carefully as he thumps. Alex and I tried to replicate his gait, but have not yet been able to determine the underlying cause for his thumping. I mention it to him, 
and asked him to try to walk quietly at night. Thomas was a bit taken aback, because nobody had ever mentioned this before. I wondered if I was being overly sensitive. Thomas declared, if that was the way God had made him walk, then he saw no reason to try to undo God's work. So Mara and I still wake up many nights, ever conscious of the mysterious actions of God, even if we don't understand them. We have night lights liberally scattered throughout the house, so that family and guests can move around in safety in the dark. For Thomas to go from his room downstairs to the kitchen upstairs, he thumps by the night light in the lower hall that illuminates his way to the bottom of the stairs. Then he thumps past the night light in the middle of the stairs that illuminates his way to the entrance of the kitchen. And there's another night light in the kitchen that makes possible simple transactions, such as sliding a dish into the dishwasher or getting something out of the fridge, which has its own light. Except that in his passage upstairs, Thomas carefully turns on the main light in the lower hall and carefully turns on the light over the stairs. He always turns on the light in the kitchen, even for the briefest of visits. This behavior would be of only minor interest, except that each light he turns on increases the chance that he will leave them on when he retires to his room. Quite frequently, two or three lights left on all night corroborate his thumping passage. So I asked Thomas why he just didn't navigate by the nightlights. He had clearly never considered it, and felt it unreasonable that I should expect him to walk around in the dark. And besides, he pointed out, the overhead lights are there, and it would be silly not to use them. Hmm, our family quite enjoys walking in the dark forest, turning on the flashlight only if required. And the whole idea of using something because it is there, not because we need it, is foreign to us, and has been foreign to all our guests up to Thomas. One lesson, I guess, is that we may be minimalists, but not everyone else is. Are other Yukoners like us? When Thomas went home to St. Thomas for Christmas, he left the window of his room open and the electric baseboard heater cranked up to the maximum. We didn't discover the situation for several days. When the December power bill came in at twice the normal amount, we figured he'd been doing it for some time. Well, I like fresh air, he explained. Well, okay, but uh, we heat our house with a wood stove. Thus, on average, the house is comfortable but sometimes it's rather warm, and other times it's rather cool. At minus 40, the stove is on continually. At zero, it's on once a day at most. The spring, when the temperature is still cool but above zero, is a difficult time. In those periods, the stove quickly overheats the house. The sun will keep things comfortable, but clearly only on sunny days. So on cloudy, cool spring days, we try to conserve heat as much as possible until the next sunny period. It's on those cloudy, cool spring days when Thomas also feels a great need for fresh air. On those occasions, he opens the back deck door and all the windows just to let in some fresh air. Cold air. And then he leaves everything open and goes downtown, and we don't discover this until hours later. And Thomas sees nothing wrong with leaving the front door open for three or four minutes at a time in the dead of winter when he's getting things out of his car. Well, I'm coming right in, he explains. But that three or four minute period of open door is enough to drop the temperature of the house 5 or 10 degrees and upset the carefully scheduled wood stove schedule. So I tried discussing elementary hot, cold, and the flow from one to the other with Thomas. It was a concept completely outside his sphere of knowledge or concern. Back in St. Thomas, his wife looked after the temperature of the house, with a dial on the wall, he thought, and she didn't care if he left the windows or doors open. So maybe it's because I'm an engineer and I studied thermodynamics in school. Or maybe it's because I split all the wood for the stove and I pay the power bill. 
But Mara and Alex understand the whole heat transfer conservation thing too without doing any of this. And I'm sure that every Yukoner with a wood stove, and many without, know that warm Yukon houses tend towards cooling off most of the time. The lesson here is that maybe Yukoners are much more conscious of heat transfer and the associated economic effects than people from St. Thomas. And our doors and windows still get left open on cold days somehow. Thomas buys mostly frozen pizza, fresh fruit, and supermarket bagels. He buys them all in vast quantities. He actually only eats the pizza and an occasional bagel. The fresh fruit and most of the bagels hang around until they grow a layer of green fur. Then when Thomas is in St. Thomas, I shovel them carefully into the compost, ready for when Thomas returns so the cycle can start again. I've heard of people with food insecurities. Maybe Thomas is one of those. Or maybe his wife always fed him before and looked after managing supply and demand. The lesson here is that some people have things in their lives that the rest of us may never understand. Thomas has been gracious enough to teach us many other lessons. Just to make sure we have actually learned them, he patiently repeats them over and over, despite our discussions on the subject to indicate that we have already learned them. These lessons cover a wonderfully diverse spectrum of subjects, like cheese gratings, bagel crumbs, and abandoned pots on kitchen counters, to garbage, compost, and recycling, always in the wrong container, despite the written guidelines on the kitchen bulletin board. Yukon is also different than St. Thomas, apparently. Thomas has been with us for six months now, and shows no sign of wanting to find a permanent place to stay. The regular busy bed and breakfast season is coming up, Mara and I have learned oh so much about life and society through our relationship with Thomas and the more important self-examination that he has generated in us. We are not annoyed, not in the slightest bit. And we're not tired of Thomas, no, not at all. But we really don't want to be selfish and keep this wonderful resource all to ourselves. We're going to suggest that he move on so that other people can share the valuable lessons from St. Thomas. Any takers? This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot C-A slash podcasts.